is coming that threatens our kingdom, our freedom. But we have a podcast they are not prepared for. <laughs> okay, good job. Right? I Great. don't know. I don't know. Um, look, sometimes we cover a movie that does not have an IMDb quotes page. Is that this one? This well, has got a few. This well, has got some trailer. Look, it's certainly not a thing we're going to harp on to any degree in this episode, but this movie's already been the victim of bad faith online trolls, right? Mm. Um, and and this film has enough quotable, cool, badass lines in the trailer. Right. Uh, and the movie's already a hit. It is the type of film that usually gets a fully submitted, uh, filled out uh-huh. quote page pretty quickly on IMDb, but is usually a, a largely a user-generated site. Yeah. Uh, I have to feel like this is some kind of troll. The one quote on the Woman King IMDb quotes page is Neska. Yeah, Neska. Relative sure. characters. It says in brackets, as a company of warriors break out into a song and dance. And then the quote is, if you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into That's yoga. Not That's not that, that right. Unless, I mean, is that like a, you know, post credit scene I didn't catch maybe? I, I say through the credits. Okay. I say through the credits. There's a post-credit scene with the or mid a mid-credit cookie with Sheila Atim. I may not have seen that. Yeah. It's just kind of a nice moment. I mean, what one, is it? It's one of those things. It's her like at I, the grave sites sure. of the fallen warriors, sort sure. of like saying a prayer for them. It's one of those things where we're now so conditioned that when something like that <laughs> happens, like, what does it mean? But it's Lashana's actually Lynch to come out of the grave, her hand to fucking rise. Woman King Two, baby, right. for revenge. Right. Zombie King. Right. It's look. It's a thing that fucking old guard is obsessed with as well. It, it's a thing that oh clearly, yeah old guard had one right but, yeah. but no i'm just saying the the gina thing of like she's very interested in not letting uh the collateral damage of action sequences just become be forgotten fodder. and just right be like yeah you know yeah, that's people, fair. But I, I just i just didn't know uh there was a little scene there yeah. i can explain why in a minute they don't sing yeah. the escape the pina colada song though no they don't sing that i mean that's too bad do you know that uh and we were just talking about this right before we started recording uh literally everyone on the internet is exhausting and i'm gonna uh say pretty close to the top of that list myself yeah. we all should stop it <laughs> Introduce our podcast. This podcast is called Blank Check with Griffin and Dave. Wow. This podcast is called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It is a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce. Baby. Mm -hmm. Now, today is a one-off episode. Mm-hmm. Returning to a filmmaker we've covered in the past. Our final in a series of new films we've been covering. We've got three new movies in a row. A Miller. By George Miller, Robert Zemeckis. Yes. And a, and a Prince Bythewood. Gina Prince Bythewood. Uh, when, when we did Gina on this show, summer of 2020? Summer of 2020, correct. Uh, not a great time to be a person. Tough time. We did it. Was it in between Miller and Zemeckis, in fact? I it's funny that they're all Believe? together again. Or yeah. was there Efron in there too? It's hard to remember anything anymore. I think it was Miller, Efron, Bythewood, Zemeckis. Yeah, that sounds right. right? I'm just yes, correct, correct. If only they discovered a long lost Nora Efron film to fill out this month. Yeah. Um. But yes. Uh, yeah, that'd be fine. We, you know, we were at a place uh, fucking five years into doing the podcast where we uh were like sort of taking stock of uh what the show has become Mm -hmm. and you know to a certain degree she is a filmmaker that both you and i really love and not Mm. only that have sort of shared our love 
four. Mm. Uh, we've talked about seeing Beyond the Lights together was like a very key early moment in our friendship. That's a good point. And all that sort of shit. And it was the one time we sort of went like, can we sort of change the thrust of the show and who we cover? And that we're essentially picking someone who is right now maybe starting to get issue checks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we sort of try to use the fact that people take our show somewhat seriously or at least give it some weight to kind of push a filmmaker who is often not discussed in these terms into a conversation and to try to reckon with a body of work. Um, And that was for a very big budget Netflix movie that was apparently watched by 8 billion people. Big hit. A totally real number. Forever is harder than it looks in the old guard. Yeah. I think we just correctly anticipated that that she did have her biggest project coming up. It it, did feel that way. We were sort of getting ahead of the thing, which we don't usually do. Mm -hmm. It was also she had been in conversation for like doing one of the fucking Spider-Man spinoff movies for a while. Old Guard was her finally getting to make the action movie she wanted to make. And then this was almost immediately after Old Guard, this gets announced. Mm -hmm. This was a thing that had been in development for a long time. Yes. At one point, she was contacted to write and direct it, developing Correct. it, but she was doing Black and Silver, the, which was the uh, Spider-Man Silver movie. and Black, I believe. Yes. Um, and then years later, this comes back around to her with a script and an offer Correct. to direct. Yes. She's not doing the Old Guard sequel, which is coming out sometime next year. Is, is it? Is it filming? They is have that, filmed that's, it. Yeah, all right. I, in fact, was looking it up yesterday, missed the announcement that Henry Golding and Uma Thurman are in it. That's cool. Along with the entire returning cast. Should we do it? People would love that. Yeah. So, so Old Guard 2 directed by Victoria Mahoney. Who was, she's a good director. She's, she's she did a, a movie TV. called Yelling at the Sky with mm-hmm. Zoe Kravitz and Gabrielle Sidibe. And then she did a lot of TV. And then she was the second unit director in Rise of Skywalker. Yes. Which was this big deal. And it was sort of like a lot of people like uh, McHugh, She did the Fortnite stuff. J.J. Abrams. She did the Fortnite stuff. A um, lot of big blockbuster filmmakers have for a very long time sort of been boosting her as like, this is someone out. who should get. Um, in a way that I I read an interview with uh, 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 Prince Bythewood recently where she talked about um, Ryan Johnson being a really big advocate for her, sort of bringing her in for to Vic- his process sorry, when he was Victoria doing Mahoney? Last Jedi. No. Oh, for Gina. Okay. Yeah, for Gina. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. When she was doing Old Guard that she consulted him mm. a lot and how to deal with a movie of the size. Here's a, a stat that I just kind of hadn't clocked. I was in one of the either New York Times piece or Hollywood Reporter piece. I was reading as much of the sort of recent Gina interviews around this movie coming out. Um, we're talking about The Woman King today. Uh, yes. Her yes. new uh, massive hit film. Uh, it, it is uh, A-plus cinema score. Mm. People are spontaneously breaking into applause breaks. It's it's a crowd. It it's is performed above a, expectations a people's favorite. Way. It performed above expectations. It's I, I certainly feel in a upcoming month without a ton of major releases, it has a chance to really kind of hold on for Have a while at nice the box legs. office, yeah. which I really hope for. Uh, I would love to see her continue working at this scale. But the thing she She's pointed out in this interview was, I, and I might be fudging the numbers okay. a little bit here, Love and Basketball costs like 14 or $15 million, I think. Okay. Then Secret Life of Bees cost $11 million. Uh-huh. Disappearing Acts, her TV movie, cost $10 million. Right. Beyond the Lights cost $7 million. It's been going down. She God, like, she made Beyond the Lights for seven. Yeah, which I think we talked about it. Insane. Yeah, it's very Especially impressive. the scale of that movie actually feeling like it's representing Even award shows it... and concert tours and a fucking famous person in a mansion and all this shit. Insane. So she was talking about in her stress leading up to the old guard, it was like, 
I've had a career where my budgets have only shrunk, which is the opposite of how this usually is supposed to work. And then Old Guard was a $70 million budget. Even with weird Netflix accounting, was it was an expensive movie. Ten times what she had gotten on her previous film. And beyond that, like, you know, multiples beyond her most expensive film, which was her first film at that point, like 20 years earlier. And then this movie cost 50. Yeah. It cost 50, but with a lot of COVID difficulties. Mm-hmm. It's it's smaller than Old Guard, you know? It doesn't feel that much smaller, does it? It doesn't. Yeah. I do think you can, and I, I say this only in a way to give her credit. They've talked about, they filmed this movie in South Africa. Yep. They start filming. Three weeks in, Omicron hits really fucking hard. Yeah. Like, devastates. It was, it was yeah, because they started November 21. Yeah. There was a question of whether the movie would ever resume production. Right, because Omicron was there first. Remember, it was, South Africa was where it They were started. at, like, ground zero. Yes. And it, like, decimated them. I believe they were shut down for, like, six weeks. Hmm. She was not sure if the movie would ever came, come back. And when it did come back, they pretty much had to change every single aspect of how they made the film. Like, in her mind, she was going to have twice as many extras in every scene. Right. Which is what you expect scope, from this kind scale. of movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even just Big Lawrence of Arabia style crew, movie. Yeah, How yeah, many yeah, people yeah. are allowed on a set at any point in time change dramatically? And I do think in ways that I give her credit for, you can sense at certain moments, like, she is being very smart about how to shoot and cover this to work around. And she even talked about, like, her choreography had to change. You know, they did months of training with everyone before the film, but then, you know, it becomes a lot more deliberate in terms of what you're allowed to call someone to do. Um, it it does feel like a big, expensive movie. It does. Feels big, right? Yeah. You know, it's going for old school Hollywood epic, I feel like. You know, like a big, big sort of heroic action war epic of, of yeah. the golden age of Hollywood. Based around a historical figure. The, yeah. the movie, I mean, look, it's really... In dialogue with 1990 to 2000. Braveheart, you're thinking. Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves, right. Uh, uh, ending with Gladiator, I would argue. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's another big one I'm forgetting, but there's certainly sure. a bunch of them in that run, you know? Braveheart is the movie this most reminded me of. Yes. Uh, and ab- she has yes. said huge inspiration for me. Yeah. I mean, Last of the Mohicans, I guess. That's the other one I was thinking of. Thank yeah. you. Yes. But then there's also movies you're forgetting, like Legends of the Fall. Uh, you know, movies that are not as good. So they I don't, was but just like, citing those as the big boys. I know, but yes. like, but that like, that was a real era. That's what I'm saying. Like, Legends of the Fall is not a good movie, but it has all the same ingredients of like big landscapes, yeah. sort of movie stars, a bit of everything, romance, right. drama, family, right? You yeah. know, like, and just they don't make as many of those kinds of was sort of the Troy kingdom of heaven thing like that's the, the sort, sort of, of post gladiator run had where too I feel much like it swords and sandals a little and it becomes a little muddied yeah Ooh, I love like, these. Give me those. yeah I'm giving you an Altoid Ridley also like is never able to hit it again even though he tries I to mean, do, he made Robin Hood and so, oh, I took too many. you do Exodus kingdom of heaven Robin Hood are like the three times Ex- he tried Exodus to do Exodus is the one where it's like that's this is dumb one. well you know he has another one coming up which is Napoleon? Oh right, but but uh, a patriot, sure, another kind of bad. Yes, gladiator. that's end of the run. But Ben also says to me when we're walking in the movie, he's like, "It's like Spartacus," and I'm like, "Right." And we talked that's about what this I'm, also, in our Spartacus Lawrence episode, of Arabia, Spartacus. Right. Pretty much up until the year 2000, this was the biggest kind of movie Hollywood could make. 
Yeah. You know, even what if a it, better age. Sorry. Right. It was just like you put movie stars along with like really fucking skilled technical actors in like giant landscapes. Yeah. And, and like you, period authenticity. And you tell these stories that, as you said, are like it's romance, it's drama, but it's also, action. The special effect is um scale. Yes. It's crowds. Yes. It's um, you know, people charging at each other on a field. It's not energy beams and infinity no. stones it's, it's a Whatever. scope both. i just feel like it's like i'm a nerd who wished on a rabbit's foot and then i got We've cursed with marvel so many times. i mean the whole like, fucking i even like these things and the i think whole they should fucking stop. pop culture landscape is now catered towards me and i hate it <laughs> i hate it and it makes me hate well, myself towards, more in return it's very catered towards like 16 year old me as well right. where i'm like oh, why absolutely. are you listening to him he yeah. was stupid that guy was a fucking <laughs> idiot he didn't know how good he had it yeah it's like why are characters like oh i can't characters like joke around all the time now i'm like can we be serious yeah, for a yeah, fucking minute? Fucking looking at the camera. We just constantly feel like Sully saying, "Can we get serious? Can we get serious?" Um, no, it's a it's a nightmare. Look, it's the line in Ghost World where Thor Birch says to Steve Buscemi, "Don't you want to meet a woman your age who shares your interests?" And he goes, "I hate my interests." Yeah. <laughs> yes. And the difference is, what if every one of that guy's interests were dominating culture? Yeah, man. You know, at least he's into like niche jazz forty fives. So weird. He's a cutie. Great performance. Oh, one of um, the best. But yes, it is a thing. We are not going to talk about this much, but obviously, because I want to, in fact, move past this so we can just start talking about what the film is rather than what it isn't, right? But there has been some amount of discourse over the historical accuracy of this film, which is like, this film I do not think presents itself in any way as any sort of docudrama. It is very much in the fashion of movies we're talking about that are essentially creating romantic stories right. within a framework of history. It doesn't have any, I, I couldn't remember this, it doesn't have any kind of sort of like based on true events, uh, you know, opening no. title card, right? I, yeah. There's something in the trailer, you know. Trailers don't count. But, um, but it essentially obviously just... Obviously this, this is based in history. It's not like it's completely made up, but yeah. Well, it is basically, I believe from my research, and I say this as, you know, uh, pointedly, I am not going to try to present myself as someone who, because I read two Wikipedia entries yeah, yeah, and three yeah. think pieces, has a complete understanding of this thing, whereas I feel some people are doing that right now. But from my gathering, Boyega is pretty much the only character in this film who is a real person. Correct. He is the only character who is based in... And that that is almost troublesome for the movie because... The guy he's playing, King Gezo, yeah, never f- decided to end slavery no. fully in right. his kingdom. He did. They did close, I believe, at one point. They did actually close the port, but there was still slavery going on in the in the kingdom and other places and all yes. that. And like, people think he more did it because he was pressure. You know, like there's things like that where it's like the tri- it's the triumphant end of this movie that is the most sort of like um, imagined or romanticized yes. part of the story, and that. Is you know uh, that is worthy of interrogation by people who know what they're talking about, which we do not and will not pretend to do. But there's things you can read, and I've been right. reading, and you've been reading, and yes. that's all fine. And people will read about you know, but like, but then of course there's also right a more bad faith, you know, contingent. Uh, it, it who is, we don't need to. No, know, no, I, yeah. it's one of those things you know that makes talking about uh, the fucking pop culture in any way. I just want to call out the. Um, uh, the the piece that I read that I thought was really good was Julian Lucas in The New Yorker yeah. wrote a piece called Sisterhood and Slavery and the Woman King, which if you want a pretty measured, intelligent, well-researched uh, sort of take on where this film relates to history, 
uh, th- that is one I recommend that I will not even try to summarize. But, um, you know, we're constantly combating this thing in being guys who fucking talk about uh, a popular culture uh, for a living that uh, so often... It's the, a living. It is a living. The worst people on the internet uh, weaponize things in bad faith to a point where it then becomes almost impossible to have a reasoned conversation about any of the issues of, with an actual thing mm. because they are adding pina colada song lyrics to an IMDb page. Um, the cornerstone of this for me is this notion that is getting perpetuated and then we're closing the fucking book on this that uh this movie is like taking a complicated history mm. and whitewashing it into just pure escapist aspirational uh storytelling which i do not think it is i no. think this is a complicated movie i think she yes, is obviously telling yes. a fictional story within a framework of a real societal you know sort of thing that happened but not presenting to it, it as a retelling of history and I'll, I, I a lot of people seem to be comparing the trailer of this movie to a Wikipedia page and going those two things don't resemble each other sure. to which I want to say right, yeah well. what fucking trailers have you seen that resemble well, does, the movies let's not home? worry about the trailer because this movie is I think among many other things and you know I, I think a lot of what we want to talk about here is where it fits into like the canon of Gina Prince Bythewood's work because one of the reasons why I think you and I are such big fans of hers and wanted to cover her and her movies on the show because people don't sort of talk about her films in this way. She has that thing that pretty much all great filmmakers have where it's like, to some degree, they're telling variations on the same story over and over and over again. She has such their specific fascinations yeah yeah right and and things that are intrinsically personal whether she's developing the material herself or it's something that's coming to her the stories that she's connecting with and she's talked a lot about in the gaps where she wasn't making films it was because there wasn't anything she wanted to make or rather she wasn't going to be allowed to make the thing the way she wanted to she didn't want to do shitty things dispassionate whatever and this movie is so rife with all the concerns that have been you know explored in all of her films i would say and also the sort of strengths as a technical filmmaker that she's been developing. Mm -hmm. But so much of her work is about, um, I I think she is as defined by being adopted as Spielberg is by his parents' divorce and the abandonment of his father, right? Mm -hmm. Her movies are so much about relationships to parents, uh, chosen families versus given families. Yes. That's a huge fucking thing in her work. And also, you know, and sometimes it's, it's a literal thing and sometimes it's a more figurative thing of, People being expected to fit into one space mm-hmm. and wanting to exist in a different space. Right. Not just the space of what they want to do, but the community they want to exist in, the work they want to do, you know? Trying to find the the place that maybe you were told you could not go into. And to that extent, like, this movie is whole dialogue about slavery, I think, is really invested in... The moral gray area of uh and, and you know it's another thing of just like is this movie sanitizing how brutal this army was right, right. Which i don't think they are i think no. they are portrayed as being fairly scary in a lot of ways sure this is a film about a barbaric time in earth on earth right sure but i think a big part of this film is like women at this moment in this culture have the choice to either become property Right. Through marriage, through at marriage the very or, least. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or essentially turn yourself into a weapon in order to have your own agency. 
Right. And the then, only pathway to autonomy. Yeah, you, this is right. It's is a to surprising hone yourself into a ruthless blade. Yeah, right. but not just that, but also, you know, and you have to lock yourself away. You have to, or, you know, not from everyone, but right. from, you know, society. People can't look at you. You only have your sisters, warriors, and all that. Right. Which, pretty look, interesting. there's a through line there between the son of Lathan character's struggle to find herself Mm-hmm. A career as an athlete, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certainly the old guard is very much about this. And I would even say the um, uh, Beyond the Lights is so much about that, her needing to create this pop culture figure, this sort of other person she can become in order to have a key to life, you know, that becomes oppressive to her. Let's talk about, let me, let me give you, let's, yeah. let's, A Woman King. It's produced by Maria Bello. We all know her. Season four of ER, that Prime Suspect remake where she had the hat. We talk about that a lot. The hat, of course. The cooler, the History cooler. of Violence, which she's actually that's her absolutely best incredible. In. Uh, the Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, which is pretty much dog that's shit. a tough one. That's a tough beat. A Coyote Ugly, one. good. Well, generally a fan of hers. Uh, I like Maria Bello a lot, and it's this strange story of she learned about the. The Agoje. Agoje, yeah. when she was like in Benin, which is the country that is part of, you know, yeah. that the, the king of Dahomey is now, what, you know, it encompasses what was part of the kingdom of Dahomey. And, and most of what we she know about, about the Agoje is essentially what exists in folklore passed down yeah, stories. And some, you know, right. European trader types who like right. observed them. But there was and, not a lot of like tangible sort of like fact based accounting sure. on them. And, but she just becomes kind of obsessed with like, how does this exist? How has no one made a movie about this? And she's giving Viola Davis an award yes. at some like LA like event at the Skirball Center. Uh, and like pitches her on stage in front of the crowd, right? Is like, I know this is annoying, but like while I have you. She's like, I recently found out about this thing. There was this army in Africa. And you should be at this in point it, in time. Right. Imagine Viola Davis in this kind of movie. And apparently, like everyone's like, Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I would I might be annoyed, but I mean it seems that Viola Davis was intrigued. I mean, right? it's like 2013, 2015. I think. 2015. So it's uh coming off the help. Let's see. That's a good question. Isn't the help more like 2013? Yeah, I'm just wondering what that. The help is 20. No, help is 2011. Wow. So 2015, well, Black Hat. Hey. I mean, that's good. But like, it's it's a year before Viola wins an Oscar. (laughs) Right. So that's Fences is 2016. Yeah. So Viola Davis is like a major, serious, well respected actress, but maybe is, I feel like it's sort of post Fences. Because it's like, you know, uh, Widows and this. Yes. And to a lesser extent, the Suicide Squad movies are like where it's like, oh, Viola Davis is like almost, you know, like your movie star lead, right? And, and before then, that was forgetting the other it. thing, the big thing in between is how to, and get, how to away get away with, with murder. murder, which is that's 2014. So I guess that was already right. On. That was maybe that was finally yeah. like someone has framed her as a true so leading woman. Right. She's, she's bankable. a big deal. You know, she's talked a lot about like. In a, I think, completely fair, just way that she still is not sort of like thought of on the tier of someone like Meryl Streep, right? Which obviously Meryl Streep's had a longer career, Decades, won more Oscars, so, right, whatever. Right, right. But there is that thing where I feel very often Viola Davis is kind of taken for granted as much as she is viewed as national treasure. And also watching this movie, I kept on thinking about like she is basically one of the most famous actors in America. Yes, she's a very, very famous actor in person. She's been nominated for so many Oscars. She's won. She's won the Emmy. She's won the fucking Tony. 
but you're also just like she's been in so many things. Everyone pretty much knows her and likes her. No one argues like eh, Viola Davis is underrated. She just feels like consummate or fucking overrated. like everyone's on board with Viola right. Davis. Yeah, right. Yeah, she has the Emmy. She has the yeah. Hey, it's she's just doing one great. of these things where her doing a movie like this. She's in Black Adam. What the hell? It's Amanda Waller again. Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah. Jesus. Which, look, I hope she, the she is really just, good in those. She, yeah, I really like her in the Suicide Squad movies. I just I just am annoyed about it. And, and I agree. And I almost feel like that's the thing that finally gives her the cachet to make this movie along with a couple other phenomenons we'll talk about in a second. A little bit, but I think Widows, too. Anyway, look, well, so, all right. So, SCX yes. is the first place they go, which sort of makes sense at that time. Because is Kathy Shulman running? Correct. Kathy Shulman, who produced Crash... And so won a weird Oscar, mm-hmm. is running STX at that moment in time. Which is sort of a mid-major studio where maybe you could go and say, like, hey, I have a movie that's not based on a superhero or not based on some franchise, but, like, you know, At a that moment, they were trying to movie. be the smaller studio. Right. Um, and it's, it's truly just kind of like Bello and Viola, Viola going, we don't have a script. Right, we just have this idea. There should be a movie set in this period in this world about uh, this army yeah. everyone turns it down scx gives offers them five million dollars which is obviously not very much money yeah. to make a movie this size everyone's um, thing is you can do that as like an indie drama there's no way this is commercial enough to be an epic on the scale you're talking about you can't do this as an action film davis mentioned this on i went to the world premiere yeah bullshit ben is shaking his head yeah like, yeah, that yeah it's i went to the world premiere of this film I'm not gonna brag Humble. but i was at the world premiere yeah uh in toronto and um you know davis mentioned this when she was introducing the movie like she talks about it a lot how you know she has very dark skin and how she feels like that's made it especially hard for her to mm-hmm. be a movie star. And she says, like in press, like, oh, studios would be like, if you cast lighter skinned celebrities, things like that, you know, they wanted whatever Hollywood may perceive as more box office palatable actresses. Yeah. Um, Prince Bythewood is approached, but she's busy on Silver and Black. She says, when you have a script, come back to me. Right. I, I can't write this right now. Uh, obviously, that silver and black never came to fruition. Yeah. Then they meet with Hannah. Because well, Ming- they had to make way for Morbius. Yeah. Then they. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Uh, then they uh, meet three with sides. TriStar. <laughs> yeah. And Nicole Brown, who yes. I think is the person who she was on stage at TIFF, and she's like the sort of biggest sort of uh, booster of this movie. Right. Uh, and the success of Black Panther. This is. The biggest which, which thing. is the biggest thing they have. Right. The, because the, 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 the Dora Milaje right, uh, are are very much based on yes. Um on this like the history. Adogia, yeah. Yeah. And so I guess that's enough. They get the fifty million dollar budget. Right. It finally becomes a thing where like Black Panther is so beloved and the Dora Milaje stuff is so beloved that the idea of getting to make this movie for fifty million dollars with an Oscar star feels like a pretty safe bet. You watch the trailer, and it's very much sort of advertising itself as almost like this is the real Black Panther. You know, yeah, right. there was that vibe. The trailer is a lot more conventional than this movie is. I would sure. argue, or at least a lot more modern. Yeah, the movie is is conventional in, way, in ways a, I love. In an old but Hollywood, it's kind of old fashioned, right. right? It's it's sort of framing it as more of a modern. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, yeah. And as you say, shot in South Africa, plagued mm-hmm. by COVID problems. Um, Dana Stevens, who uh, it was the written by Dana not, Stevens. not Dana Stevens, friend of the show, 
past and future guest, but Dana Stevens, friend of the show, a screenwriter behind For Love of Game. For, the For love, love of the, the Game. Game. And uh, what else has she done? A City of Angels. A weird filmography. It is a weird filmography, but she's also, I think, one of those people who's just kind of around. Yeah. Yeah, she's sort of just a vet. But they come to her. She's married to Michael Apted. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if I knew that. Mm. They come back to Gina with that script. Yeah. Gina talks about she goes in for her pitch meeting and cries during it. Was like, I just blew it. They're not going to hire the woman who cries. Right. And Vela Davis was like, that's the moment. Right. If I saw someone who cared that much about what they were doing. So, oh, she got like emotional this, during the right. meeting. Yeah. Okay. And was like, A, A, that she cared that much. B, that she, what Viola Davis recognized as the strength required to be that vulnerable in a meeting like that, where that is not usually valued. And she was like, I'd seen the old guard. Sure. And I could see that she was ready and that she right, had she the passion behind some it. Action like, movie this is, here. This right. is, I'm time to make, I'm ready to make my fucking app back. And they, you know, every, every time we talked about Gina, you know, down to her really like being on Sonal Lathan's ass about being good at basketball for yep. loving basketball. It's like everyone's got to do, you know, 90 minutes of weight training every day, three and a half hours of fight training every day. You know, like they all had to learn all this stuff. This is a movie that is very, talking about the other, you know, through lines throughout her career. It is, I was saying to Ben, you can very much tell this is an action movie made by an athlete in the same way you can tell the difference when a musical is directed by a choreographer. Right, right, right. This right, is right, someone right. who actually understands how the body works, who understands movement, you know, mm-hmm. is thinking about how they themselves would do it and is coaching her actors and filming and cutting it from that perspective. Yeah. And and it, speaking of that, it's one of those things where you're like, everyone in this film is clearly doing this fighting, right? Right. As much as I think they a lot of the action a is, lot of their own stunts and all is that. more edited than Old Guard, but I think that was because of practical realities. Sure, but I think um, the action's really good. You're not seeing stunt doubles. Like, no. even if they're more pieces, you're seeing their faces in almost every shot. Um, but they are not conventionally ripped in like a superhero way. I was saying this to Ben. They're fit. We're so conditioned to the idea of like jacked people on screen looking jacked in this very sculptural way that is not actually very practical. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like sure. the rock does not move very well. No, he's very big. It's yeah. the no, post-alone, right. uh, you know, Schwarzenegger thing that now has gone out of control where every superhero has to have their, like, superhero diet and build, like, an aesthetic body that is not really athletic. Right. As much as it is just, like, all these weird things of people dehydrating themselves so the veins pop. Well, that's what you were saying. Yeah, the yeah. veins thing is so disturbing right. to me. And this is a movie where it's like, oh, these people are built like Olympic athletes. Yeah, Their body right. is like trained for these specific purposes. It is not like uh, uh, performative muscles. There's also different body types. Yes. There's really very different body types yes. for different fighting styles. Yes. Um, it's nice to see. It's not everyone's just jacked. But and you're uniformly. never questioning that these people can cause this damage. Yeah. You know? The Woman King. I saw it at Toronto. Oh, right. At the Roy Thompson Hall. Do you want to yeah. save your story of your Toronto Airbnb? Because you've. Pin that you want to talk about that. Airbnb story can go later, okay. or can even go. In well, we'll th- we'll see about the Airbnb story. But no, but I did attend the premiere of this movie. It was at the Roy Thompson Hall, which is this gigantic concert hall. It's sure. obviously, honestly a terrible place to see a movie. But um, congrats. You have to go see movies at this place sometimes mm-hmm. if you're going to the galas. And usually, when you're going to a premiere, the director will come out, mm-hmm. and everyone's kind of like, "All right, you know." But you know, you got to clap. But you know, you're kind of especially people. Like press like me, who I have to see a lot of movies, just sort of like, let's make this quick. Sure. 
And so you always appreciate what's like, but they'll come out, they'll usually introduce the cast, mm-hmm. and then they'll say, like, and we'll talk later, you know, we'll do a QA after or something like that. And you're like, great. Gina comes out, God bless her. Mm-hmm. She brings out the whole cast. I mean, who obviously all look incredible. Yeah. You know, I mean, imagine the cast of this movie basically just in like ball gowns. They all look sure. fucking insane. Sure. Um, but then she's like, and I'm gonna shout out the crew of this movie. And I'm like, oh my God, I have a dinner reservation. But she starts shouting out the crew of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Polly Morgan, the sure. GP, right? Uh, Terrence Blanchard. Yeah. All, by, by the way, I was sitting next to all of them because I was like, that's where I was. So that was it, the costume Ter- Terrence Blanchard is best known as Spike Lee's composer. He's a jazz musician. Yeah, but in film, I'm saying, is that's Absolutely. his yeah, the bulk of his body's work. Costume designer, editor. Almost everyone a black woman, which yeah. is pretty unusual yeah and i and, and she was not like putting a fine point on that or anything yeah. but it was very obvious as she's shouting everyone out you're like god damn like this is a movie mostly made by women you know they all seem to really love each other there was a lot of love in the room mm-hmm. there was a lot of you know which you know everyone's always very happy at these premieres except for the lucy in the sky premiere one of the most insane things i ever witnessed where noah holly came out and was like look they're not all good and John Hamm was like clapping him on the back and was like, it'll be okay, buddy. <laughs> we were like, that's your intro? It's like, I, I bet Griffin's going to like it, but we'll be too embarrassed to ever mount a defense. But uh, usually, but, but it was like a really good atmosphere and it was really, and then and then she let Viola talk. Sure. Well, not let, but then she was like, Viola, do you want to send Viola talk Davis, about this? Davis, who an incredible public speaker. Like, exactly. Viola a very Davis impressive ever made a sort of weighty speech about, right. you know, you're, how you're she like, was I wish like, any politician was able to inspire this much. How like, you know, as, as a little girl, she was <laughs> yeah. put down and she was never, you know, like and all this stuff. So everyone's really jacked up by the yeah. time the movie starts. And then the movie starts with like the woman king and then they come out of the fucking grass right and start just like chopping people up and like everyone was just going ballistic right so i'm just saying i saw this movie in a very positive in atmosphere yeah and so i walked out of it like very thinking like that was great sure but also thinking like god like does that play as well? I, right. You hope. Like, you yeah. know, fucking AMC on a Tuesday afternoon, like, you know, because it's such a big sort of brassy crowd pleasing movie. Yeah. And then I've just been so thrilled that like, that does seem to be the reaction just generally like the A plus cinema score, like multiple people I know have seen it with packed houses where people were kind of like, you know, cheering and clapping. Uh, Sam Rogal, friend of the show. Yeah. Past and future guest, uh, texted me. Cause I, I got a lot of texts from like, uh, uh, friends of the show and Blankies who went to see it opening weekend and were kind of like amped. Uh, you know, yeah. You, you listen to our show. You spend a fucking month or so talking, living with the director. You start to get personally invested. And you get excited sure. when you have a fucking win, right? And Rogal texted me. Uh, I saw a half-empty afternoon screening and it got four applause breaks. Hell which yeah, basically, look, this movie did well. It, there are more crowded screens where I'm hearing stories like that. Right. We saw an afternoon showing that was not super full, but it did get a couple like quiet people are still breaks. pretty into it. it sure. is, like I kept on looking at like the only other people who were in our row were like two older women who were like pumping their fists mm. at multiple moments. Uh, people are really loving this thing. It got an A plus cinema score, which only, is the only thing that, one other movie got it this year. What's the other one? Top, Top Gun. Yeah. It happens like twice a year. Yeah. Basically. It's because that means that everyone walking out of the theater is like A plus, A plus, you know, because right. it's an average. It means right. that everyone walking out of the theater is basically like that exceeded my expectations. Right. Right. 
right. what made me want to see this movie in the first place. Right. It's 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 exciting. It's exciting. It's a fun movie. I personally think I know this is a boring note mm-hmm. but there's just a plot that I could lift right out of it it would make the loony movie leaner and meaner and I'd be happy about it the this sort of the half romance. romance with the portrait yeah I yeah. would just lift it out but yeah. I also understand the and I think it would just lift right out it would just lift I like, do too. Whoop. Yep. but I understand the feeling of like this is an old-fashioned epic it should have a romance it should yes. have these kinds of swooning moments it should have this kind of like attention uh, to the narrative I like, also like I I give them credit for not going like full fucking John Smith Pocahontas with it, you know? Well, sure. Yeah, it, could, it certainly could have been it's, more detrimental to the movie. Right. It, it feels like a pretty contained thing that is more used as an exploration of ideas and to be able to check off some of those boxes. The thing I was not prepared for is how much of this movie is the... the, the look, we're going to get into spoilers in this episode, but how much of it really comes into the the mother-daughter relationship. Right, sure, sure, sure. Which is really the emotional crux of the movie. That, that's the big emotion of the movie, but... The other thing I was kind of surprised by is like uh, this is kind of Viola Davis's like Sean Connery performance, mm, where I it's like this, this movie on. is more of an ensemble than I was prepared for it to be. Me too. I mean, I was sort of having the widow's reaction where I was, which I love that right. movie, but I was like, huh. Once again, she's given herself this very locked down, yes, you know lead yeah. in quotes but like she's surrounded by an ensemble that is popping yes and she's almost given herself like a less rewarding role she rules in this movie but she's really good at and, it and, but even with widows she is more the narrative spine of the thing even though she's allowing everyone else to be more colorful right in is. widows she's really locked down yes. like that's like a really contained right this is different this is like you know. really kind of the the narrative jumps between the four of them sure, right so she her, Go go ahead. Uh, Sheila uh, Lashana Lynch, Lynch and Thuzum Dadu, who yes. is the the um, I'm you know she's she's she the, the Underground Railroad. Railroad. And this is her first movie ever. Uh, yeah, I guess so. She's done a lot of TV, but I guess yes. it's her first movie. Yes, yes. yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Which is uh, wild, but it it really is the four of them and sort of them in different two person configurations. A little bit, and then and then Boyega obviously as this sort of you know yeah character Portuguese they have to deal guy with. as a side character right right hero finds Tiffany the he main- was there. For. He's shout the out to, other one. Isn't shout he? out to Hero Finds Tiffany. Yeah, he's the villainous right, one. Right. But him sitting, because so I'm in box B at the yes. Roy Thompson Hall. If anyone wants to look at the Roy Thompson Hall seating map, I do. I'm not. in box B, so I'm sitting with the crew mostly. Yeah. I'm sitting with Shirley Lee, friend of the show, um, as well. Shout out. Yeah. Um, but then in box C, mm-hmm. the next box over is the is Gina and the actresses. Sure. I was actually sitting next to Gina. We were across an aisle. So I actually, I kept watching her watch the movie. Because yeah. if you're sitting next to a director... You want to see. I want to yeah. see. Because obviously she's seen it. Right. So I want to know, like, is she watching the audience? But it's like watching a parent watch their kid at a school recital Right. Is she laughing at right. the laugh moments? Is she? And she was just locked in, yeah. but not expressive it was yeah. interesting but uh she was just funny hero surrounded by these like absolutely gorgeous black yeah. women who are like all looking crazy and he was just like hi yeah. <laughs> like anyway ray, ray finds his nephew uh he's certainly a finds uh he is yes nephew to both rafe and joseph okay Fiennes. son of the third sibling uh and son yeah. of martha finds oh. who's a director yeah um i do it's that connery thing especially like you know the last 10, 15 years of his career, you know, I'd say sort of uh, untouchables as the inflection point Mm. where it's just like, I will lend the star power, the gravitas, the genre credibility to this thing. But I'm in my 50s or over at this point. Right. And you can build an ensemble around me or put me with a younger star and I'm essentially like 
legitimizing other actors by putting them in my orbit, you know? Yeah. Not that these actors need to be legitimized, but you know what I'm saying? Like, this movie immediately makes all three of them far more into movie stars than they were before. Lashana Lynch, who's one of these bizarre cases of, like, I was talking about with Ben, someone who sort of had this, like, incredible reputation in theater and then immediately starts getting thrown into blockbusters. Yeah. In a slightly, not her fault, cart before the horse way, where you're just like, everyone's betting on this person really big. A little bit. Right. It's tough, tough, or not tough, but a lot of pressure. This is definitely the movie where I'm like, oh, I get it. She's so good in this movie. This is like the the part. She's she's incredible. She does have the most fun role. She's the fun one. Yeah, she is. Because like, obviously, Naniska is the, the leader. Right. The advice giver, this you know, right. by you know, and then Nawi is the young one who's she's, impetuous she's the, and breaks the rules. But she basically is the protagonist of the movie. She's kind of the protagonist, kind of the audience, or the dual pro- right? Yeah, you know, Amenza, who is the Sheila team character, and that actress is wonderful, and I'm loving that she's everywhere all of a sudden. But two shots in Pinocchio, did you catch her? In two that? shots in Pinocchio. She's obviously she's in Doctor Strange for five minutes. Like you remember, she's she gets Doctor a lot of close up reaction shots in Doctor. She Strange, does and I because believe, she's such a striking actress. I, I well, yeah, that's why I was. Oh, just, you think she was cut who out? The fuck is this person? Yes, there, there's the fucking Green Minotaur who's also all over the merchandise for Doctor Strange and does nothing in the movie. And I've heard from a lot of people that there were entire plot lines with the two of them that were cut out. I believe uh, that makes sense. I, I think she was supposed. She, to, she has weirdly high billing in the movie. She's a really Sheila team is just a yeah. really really accomplished. British theater actor, and I feel like Hollywood isn't that Lashana Lynch zone as well? Yeah, Hollywood is like just discovered. Disney's like, like just throwing Ray. everything at her. Um, but like, what a fucking good showcase for Lashana. But for both of them, well, for her too. But but, yeah. but, but she led team playing the you know the wise counselor, the yes. right hand woman, right. the sort yeah. of you know, second in command, right? The yeah. cool saucer under the hot coffee, right? Yeah. Like she's sort of the one you. And then you know, Izogi is the fun one. She's the yes. whatever. I don't she's kind of badass. She's a fucking badass. She's she's the only person who seems to get enjoyment out of her life. You know? Yeah. She seems like such a, a functionary, and and as you said, the you know Devel Davis character is so clamped down the entire film, and mm-hmm. as the movie goes on, we start like revealing her her literal and emotional scars, right? But when when she starts out the movie, it is like that opening shot where she rises out of the grass. It's it's the thing. It's why I think. Suicide Squad is kind of the guarantor that allows her to do this, not just because Viola Davis wasn't someone that was maybe being thought of in an action movie context before doing fucking DC movies, even though her character is not the action character. Right. But the other thing is, the, the thing that is impressive about her in the DC movies is that she just is able to, like, turn on that fucking sociopath scare. That stuff is cool. In a like when she goes scene, around like, shooting is this people. Terrifying woman in the world. The other thing with her in those movies is that she somehow fits into the silliness of them without being silly. Yes. And it's sort of crucial for that character to not be silly. Like, because obviously the superhero movies, everyone's always like, "Eh," you know, hey, you better go get Hawkman. Hawkman, am I right? What is he, a Hawkman? Right. Where I come from, there's no such thing as a Hawkman. There's just Hawks and men. You're like, oh my God. But she never does that. She's very serious. She talks about all this stuff seriously. I I don't know if Amanda Waller says like Enchantress has breached, 
you know, sector three yeah. or whatever. But she can say that and you're not just like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. You're like, yeah, Enchantress, I guess, has breached sector three. I mean, this is know. part of her big, like, fucking, you should pay me as much as Meryl Street monologue that went viral years ago, where it's just like, she's like, I can do literally anything. She kind of And it's can. one of those things that doesn't feel like a brag. She's just like, I went to Juilliard. I am like such a technically competent actor. I believe I have proven myself in every genre, in every size role, you know? It's one of those things that doesn't feel like, like, woohoo, like sort of like know your value shit. It's just an actual honest account of just like, here are the tangible results of my career and I'm still not sort of considered in this realm. And not being able to get a movie like Woman King Finance for so long, you know? But it is that thing where like when she rises out of the grass, you're just like, oh, she knows how to very subtly make herself the most intimidating person on the planet. That's pretty cool. I her, her eyes say so intense, much. Intense glare. She, she has some of the most expressive eyes of any actor working today, but the thing that's incredible about her is that it's like entirely behind the eyes. Mm-hmm. Like she does not actually emote with her eyes in a performative way. It's truly just all back there. She talks about, I've, I've said this before because I love it, but uh, she talks about in interviews how her entire approach as an actor is that she wants to be like a cat. Mm. I think I remember this. That she's like, she, if you study a cat, they are there's nothing more compelling than watching a cat and trying to figure out what they're thinking and why they're doing what they're doing. Because cats are really inscrutable. As opposed to a lot of animals like dogs that are more expressive and emotionally needy. Wait, and here, whatever. I have the quote. It's actually from David Mamet. It's interesting. Do you want me to read it? I mean, sure. she's citing David Mamet. Sure. If you're looking at an actor on stage with a cat, who are you going to look at? The actor or the cat? The cat. Because the cat is just being a cat. It's sort of a funny line. She's expounded on this more. She's Basically, like, about how she literally studies cats to You fucking... know, rather than feeling like you're acting. Right. Just being an entirely natural performer. Which, like, I, I think the expressiveness of her eyes are that whole thing where you're just like, you, you watch her. And, you know, her big breakout, obviously, is Doubt, where she just has this, like, fucking five-minute demolition. Right. Doubt is, I guess, where she, well, it's where she gets her first Oscar nomination. Right. Obviously, the first thing I noticed her in is Solaris. Soderbergh like. and Clooney were big boosters of hers for years. She talks she's about in, that they pretty much gave her a career for like a decade. Plus. She's in three Soderbergh movies before yeah. Solaris, which is Out of Sight, Traffic, and Ocean's Eleven. But she has Uncredited, small roles in all of them. Beginning right. of Ocean's Eleven, she's right. the parole officer voiceover. Yes. Um, yeah. But also, yeah, she's a social worker in Traffic. She's right. someone in. She's in like one scene out of sight. Um, I believe Clooney paid for her wedding. Hell yeah. Good She's for you, like, George. They were the two people who really were just like, you should be a much bigger movie star. We're going to keep using it. And then in 2002, yeah. she has this these three roles. She's really, really good in Far From Heaven. It's another a fairly yeah. small role, but it was sort of, it is an incredibly impressive yeah. performance. She's in Antoine Fisher, which is like a flawed movie, but she sure. had like a really big yes. uh, part. Like big, I mean, acting wise. Yeah. And then I... I mean, Solaris is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I think a performance in it. It's still like my favorite Violet yeah. performance. I but think she's so incredible in that flop. movie. Obviously. But it's a huge flop. But right. that is probably her big calling card for like, yes. look, here I am. I'm all over this movie. Right. Blah, blah, blah. But then it is, it's like, she's not in another movie. I think she starts to do more TV and stuff. Yeah. But her next credit is Get Rich or Die Trying. She's yeah. grandma. Have not seen that. That's the fifty cent movie. Ty- I remember. Yeah. I mean, I remember the movie itself. <laughs> yeah, but I you know remember I saw it, the but... name Get Richard I tried. Oh yeah. Um she's a small part in Syriana. Again, that feels like the sort of Soderbergh Clooney universe, yeah. right? The architect. What the hell is the architect? 
I could not tell you. It uh, doesn't matter. Not okay. a good movie. Uh, she's apparently has a small part in World Trade Center. She's in Disturbia. She played a lot of cops. This is the thing. I mean, she's like... Played a lot of detectives. She's talking, like, I played enough cops, nurses, right. social workers. Like, th- this was how she was paying her rent for a long time. And occasionally, you know, on a good project. But Solaris is the only time she was really kind of maybe given a meaty role in a movie like that. The other thing I am forgetting is that she did win a Tony for King Hedley II, I believe. Okay. And that was in like 2001. That was like a featured actress Tony. So that obviously, that's a big deal. She's in the zone where she's very much then an she actor's won another one for actor. Fences. And right. you're like, there are all these directors and actors and movie stars who are just like, this person's the shit. We should get them on set. If you can get her for one scene, it's worth getting, you know, but is is not getting the roles, you know, is one of these people like, very often the case where you're just like on stage, they can play anything. They're, yes. you know, taken seriously and given real meat. And in film, they're often playing these sort of functionary roles. Um, right. And but she's always good. And she's anytime al- she's always good. you see her in one of those movies before she was a bigger deal, you're always like, God damn, constant professional yeah. and just has a different energy than anyone else in film. It is that weird sort of like it's that thing that I think very often makes movie stars where you're like, this person's holding something back. In every single performance of hers, I do believe there is that quality of just like, what is she not telling me, right? There's something elusive about her. And she can be funny. She can be charming. She can be supportive. She can be scary. She can be whatever, you know? She can play high status or low status, but it always feels like she's not showing you all of her cards. Doubt is the one where Oprah Winfrey campaigned for that part really fucking hard. Mm. Interesting. And John Patrick Shanley was like, you don't understand how good this woman is. And then when Oprah sees the movie, she not only is like, you're right, but she brings Viola Davis on her show. And she's still like, if you don't nominate for an Oscar, you're fucking insane. It's incredible. It's five minutes where she just like destroys the fucking movie. She fucking kicks in a film with like Amy Adams, Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Well, they're all fucking, you know, asleep at the shop in that movie. In my opinion, I think Adams is great in that movie. She's pretty good. I mean, that, that character is a little difficult but I she's think she's pretty good um, I know you don't like that movie uh, no it's a horrible movie but but that's that's the one where it's just like you know have we now I'm looking have we never co- no we did Black Hat we did Black Hat and we did Squib 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 right yeah we did suicide squad that's but why that's, i feel the need to do more viola yeah we've never talked yeah. about a different yeah because yeah. now we we haven't yeah this is this is sort of the first i mean she's no she's not a lead in black hat she's a supporting character in that movie yeah. this is her first like well she's sort of a lead in suicide squad did we talk about like, her in there's movie? shit like don't back down well, that's that won't back down. That's actually oh, that's an offensive movie. I hate yeah. that movie. Widows, um, obviously, one of your favorite movies. Widows in the last amazing. Ten years. Yeah. Widows, incredible. Um, I think she's she's incredible in Fences. Yeah. I think that movie is wonderful. But I love that play, and I just love putting those plays on screen. I I really liked. I loved Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, honestly, which she's amazing in as but well. Help gets her the lead actress nomination. Sort of puts her into a different position in terms of like story weight. What can be carried? The movie's obviously a big hit. Mm-hmm. She kind of maybe misses winning the Oscar by like a hair, but then also talks about after that movie, she was just like, I want to really fucking take control over what I'm doing. Mm. You know, like she sort of talked about the elements of the help that she thought were counterproductive culturally uh, and just being like, I don't need to do stuff strategically anymore in that kind of way. And I want to use whatever force I can to like change the types of stories that people like me get to be the center of. Uh, Because the other thing is she's she's getting increasingly famous 
at an age where a lot of actresses get phased out. Yeah, and she there's an interview Matt Patches did with a friend of the show, Past and Future Guest, Past and Future Guest, uh, did with Gina, mm-hmm. where he talks about at one point. Can I let me find the quote? Uh, Viola saying. Why are we, while they were doing rehearsal, like, yeah. why are we hiding that I'm 56 years old? Right. I should be 56 years old in this movie. I guess she was playing a younger character in the script. They weren't mm-hmm. dealing with the reality of her being like a very aged warrior. Yeah. And she was like, no, I want to own my age on screen, which is obviously, I mean, she looks pretty good for 56. Oh, she does. And it, but it's also I'm not going like, to look that good when, when I'm 56. When you see a movie like this. I can, I can only hope yes. to look that good. When you see a movie like this with a woman over 50 in the lead role, it's almost always something like Jamie Lee Curtis returning, Sigourney Weaver returning. It is people who did this when they were young and have sort of legendary status within their genre yeah. and get to come back and kick ass again. It's very rare that at 56, someone's now given the chance to be the lead of an action movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, and a movie that's really banked and sold on her. It's not like she's incidentally the main character. It's like, as we're saying, this movie is more of an ensemble than it's advertised as being because they're selling it as a Viola Davis vehicle because that's what's exciting to people. But the poster, the main poster, does have the five of them. It does. All billed together, looking great. I'm just saying, the trailer throws her name up twice. Well, this trailer you're obsessed with. I'm, no, I'm just he saying. loves this trailer. They're aware that it's just like, oh, Viola it's Davis big is. big name. Yeah, big ass name. The Woman King. Set in the 1820s in Dahomey, which is in West Africa. Yeah. Now been part of Minion. We should, could we shout out specifically on the map just so people kind of get a sense? Because I had to look it up and it, it's like kind of Western Africa, but like, I guess like next to Nigeria, right? So you got. Around there, Nigeria, Togo, Ghana, the Ivory Coast, all so that. So almost like where it like sticks out, like that hump. It's like on the southern part of it. Um, Leniska is the leader mm-hmm. of the Agoji. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say it? I believe so. An all-female group of warriors. I mean, I mispronounced my own name, so I'm assuming that well, I'm messing up everything. You know, this entire uh, yeah. For, forgiveness, please, for anything I mispronounce. Obviously, yeah. Um, who? In history, I believe part of the reason that there was this warrior fighting force was that there were these countries were losing so many men in war and to, to the slave trade and things like that. That there was, I guess, more of an opportunity where they were like, "We need warriors." Like, you know, we we can think about training women to fight. I'll um, say this too: like, uh, you know, every time we do a, a proper war movie on this podcast, my brain breaks because yeah, I'm an idiot like and war. a child, and war makes no sense to me. But when <laughs> sure. you watch a movie set in like an era like this, I'm like, well, yes, this makes sense. I understand in this era, if it's literally about like, we have to protect our fort. Other people want to invade our fort. You have to train people to defend it. War is literally <laughs> you like... Know, you said You said this is a more barbaric age, and I almost wanted to be like, Griff, we still live in a barbaric age. We but do. I know, but, but you but, know what I'm saying. The difference sure. is that when I watch something like Paths of Glory, and mm-hmm. I'm like, the barbarianism is now dressed up in men in corner offices with yeah. like a risk board going like, would it be clever if I... I'm That's like, they did. why isn't this a conference call? Whereas in Woman King, I'm truly like, I don't believe society has means... To settle these things other than a bunch of people come to attack your fucking place to steal your stuff and you have to train people to defend the place. You know? I'm like, I get this. I don't like it. I, I'm Dahomey, glad it's not where I live. At but the time, I get it. Was a tributary state to the Oyo Empire, which was a larger West African country. Sure. Uh, kingdom, whatever, which yeah. is made up of a lot of my Nigeria. 
uh, now. Mm-hmm. And so they are dealing with that. They are that's that is their general enemy in this movie, I would say. Usually they are fighting the Oyo warriors, right? Yeah. Um who is this the main actor with the earring who is sort of the sort of central he fucking rules. I mean, that he's guy so is so good as the villain in this. Uh, I know. Oof. I mean, truly contemptible. Like, uh, what a fucking look, though, man. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I believe the the um, character is called Oba, right? Yes. And yes. the actor's name is Jimmy Odukoya. Uh-huh. I don't know him uh, that well. Let's see. I mean, you know, he's got a bunch of credits to his name on IMDb, but mostly movies I don't recognize. Um, it, it, it is a thing this movie does that I think is actually pretty. He's, he's a Nigerian actor and it seems okay. like he mostly works in the Nigerian industry. Uh, you know, he fucking oh, just, that character he's, poster is good. He's just so like physically imposing, but also just like seething with like confidence. You know what I mean? Like, and not just like, evil like he's not just some guy where you're just like well this is just an evil guy no. not that he's a good guy to be clear no good very he does bad many, but, but also just like that like brimming warrior confidence where he's just yeah. like i i am indestructible in battle right yes. he's got the huge fucking earring like the the horn in his ear that's like so cool yeah yeah um it is a thing I think this movie is astute about that speaks to it being uh, having a more complicated view of history than I think some people reduce it to, uh, even though it is very much, you know, fictional. Uh, that this movie is keyed into like everyone was just fighting everyone at this time. Well, set in the 1820s. Yes. They, they're. They're all fighting, is I guess, yes. These kingdoms are all at war, and yeah. often they will take prisoners of war, and that, you know, that is who's getting sold into the Atlantic slave trade, which is booming in the 1820s, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, England, but, Portugal, Spain. Sure. Yes. All the major European, but, uh, France. Those fuckers. All yeah. those fuckers are participating in the Atlantic but, slave trade. Those yes. are the stories that are more often told, whether correctly or not. But also, it's just like domestically within this country, there is a slave trade as well. And these, these regions are all history. fighting each other. These kingdoms are all fighting each other. Everyone's just fucking fighting and doing bad shit to everyone (laughs) yes sure well but they are tributary state is the point like they they are trying to free themselves from having to pay tribute to the oyo Mm -hmm. which is like the current relationship between those countries that is like the main like conflict in this movie i would say right Mm -hmm. is that uh naniska who's the leader of the the homie amazons the goje uh and gezo who is the king the new king Mm -hmm. a fairly young ambitious king hot hot he's I was, very I would, hot I would go as far say looking hot. great hot king are they are like maybe we can you know actually push back and like you know liberate the the kingdom from having to pay mm-hmm. money and prisoners to the oyo right like yeah. that's the main thing they want to do yeah Naniska, on top of that, is like, we really should exit slavery. We really should not be selling She's people. like, I think time's up. It's coming for slavery. And Gezo has Let's this thing out. where he's like, we don't sell our own people. We don't, sell, you know, we only, it's only prisoners we capture, right? Like, that's his sort of rationalization of it, which I think was the common, yeah. you know, like, that's how this all worked. She's like, look, I think this is going to age really poorly. <laughs> He talks about, is it his brother who is the former king? Who sold his mother. Right. And he's like, you know, my brother was much worse and he was selling our own people. Right. It's that, that scene yeah. where, where he meets the, the Portuguese guy who, yep. whose mother was uh, a member of the uh, Domi. Yeah. And they're, they're like just casually I, swapping I, the stories of like the, the slavery they've experienced in their own families. Um, right. Yeah. And as men. Right. You know, it's affected both 
women in their lives. Right. Right. And also the frame of device of how how we meet uh, the main young character in this movie is also this thing of her father trying to find someone to sell her off to. It's like in one way or another. Yes, there is certainly little independence available to women in this world. And and when Boyega talks about like, I'm thinking maybe we pull out of the slave thing. Mm -hmm. The the argument to him is like, not only like, hey, look around. You got good shit going. Do you really want to cut off the tap, right? Mm. But B, this notion of like, you want your people to prosper. It is this thing that is very much just fucking, humanity basically stays the same without time, the same way that we just like throw people into the fucking gears of capitalism, Mm. where it's like not only the very people at the top, but the people that they're serving, basically saying like, can you allow like the top 20% of people to live a more luxurious life if you throw 30 people into the grinder? Right, if you just sort of turn your, you know. You turn turn your your head and you just go like, I don't know, it's a fucking... Yeah, and he's, you know, and she's, you know, and this, the thing that is rooted in history is that there was absolutely, there's two things that are fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. One is that the the way the politics of the kingdom is structured, where it's like the king is the absolute ruler and what he says goes, yeah. like many, like any, you know, kingdom, king, yeah. king ruled country. But his advisors is this mix of like his warriors, including the Agoji, yeah, and his wives, of whom he has various wives who are sort of seem to be like domestic counselors or like they have influence as well, yeah. And so he's sort of like taking info from all of them, and like this seems to be true in history that it's at least at some point the Agoji pushed for like let's you know, uh, emphasize palm oil trade, yeah. right? Well, we can, we palm can be farmers, big, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, and that like the kingdom at least attempted that and maybe then swerved away from it. Mm-hmm. So that's what she's pushing. She's like, sure. No more slavery. We can be farmers. We can, you know, emphasize palm oil. Yeah. And I'll help you accomplish that by throwing off the yoke of the oyo, you know, like mm-hmm. we can, we can do this. Right. And he's spending the most of the movie that he is the most fascinating character to me in a way because he's not stupid or smart. Yes. Or whatever. You know, like, he doesn't seem, like, entirely out to lunch. It is really But he nice needs to, to be see. kind of flattered and massaged yeah. and kind of nudged in the right direction. It's nice to see Boyega in the pocket. He's great. I haven't seen Breaking In yet. Well, he's very good in he that. He obviously That's was great in Small Axe. Breaking In, which, no, it's just called Breaking. It was, oh, sorry. It was called Eight. 92 at some okay, so I, for, I keep yes. forgetting that has a new title yeah. that that's just one of those kind of pressure cooker movies yes. where it's like it's real time and you're just watching right. a guy you know he takes a bank's hostage and you're just watching a guy like unravel but it is that thing when fucking but it's a very good attack the block very, came out nice. everyone was just like jesus christ fully formed movie star here we go and then it took so long for him to like pay off the promise of that or, or for rather for anyone to give him the chance to pay off the promise of that yeah. and then star wars ended up being a little bit of a double-edged sword for him i mean sure but he's very very good in those movies he is he's I, he's always good it's just like you know i think there's been this battle and he talks about it obviously very publicly of just like figuring out where he slots in what kind of actor he wants to be what kind of movie star he wants to be you know it's not just star wars of course and i'm you know Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim was sort of a win for nobody. Yes. Right. Like, you know, everyone just sort of forgets that exists. Yeah. Detroit, he's I actually think he's excellent in, but he has a tough role. And also is not as much of a, a 
presence as sort of we assumed going into that movie. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he he's is, sort of he is good in it, movie. But he it's a tough good. role. And the movie, movie doesn't work. Like, and it's a smaller part than, yeah. It's like whoever wants to rewatch right. it. And apart from that, he's really done very little. Like, right. the only other things post the beginning of Star Wars are something called Naked Singularity that came out last year. It yeah. doesn't seem to have made any impact. And and that's it. He's in a sci-fi Netflix movie called They Cloned Tyrone. Yes. Uh, with Jamie Foxx. Yeah. But I, I'd like more. more. Oh, and then, of course, uh, Small Axe. Right. He was incredible right, in that's that what Small Axe that was yeah, That yeah. was the one where it was sort of a, like, oh, we're getting back so to... Yeah. Um, no, you know, I, I remember when the Star Wars cast was announced and, and I saw some people cynically making the comment of like, Great. Here are six promising actors' careers now, like ground to a halt, mm. because it's this notion of like Star you Wars actually do this for years. Never right. ends up being the gift you think it is to someone's career. Harrison's really the only person who like is able to build off the momentum, maintain being a proper movie star from the original series, mm-hmm. and then to a certain degree, it's like. It was almost a thing that Portman and McGregor had to overcome for a little while. Certainly. McGregor, obviously, I, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Christensen gets like totally halted as well. Um, yeah. And like, you know, Adam Driver obviously has just been off to the fucking races. Oscar Isaac, we talk a lot about feeling like he's mm. not as exciting as we always hoped he would be, but does a lot of fucking good ass work. Mm. And then it does feel like Boyega and and especially Daisy Ridley are the two who've gotten a little stuck. I'd like just like and to see more from same. both of them. And it feels like Boyega's starting to like punch through again he's, and he's figure out what this. he wants to do. But this is a self he he's a bit of a buffoon, but is I, what I'm saying. I'm saying I I like that he's doing Me that. too. I like it too. It's an he's, interesting choice for him to yeah. take this part. In the movie, he yes. does end up making the right decisions. Yeah. But at least I, when watching it, was not like Oh, he's turned all the way around, or he's definitely no, in I on this. It's think more like the well. ending is as cut and dry as some people want to reduce it to. And I also think a movie that this is weirdly similar to in certain ways is The Last Duel, uh-huh. in that they very much feel like very modern films. They're not trying to like pretend that that era was more modern than it was, mm. but they're sort of like telling the stories from a modern perspective and using them to sort of be in dialogue with the shit we're still dealing with today. Yeah, I wanted to shout out there's a in his court too um there's a handler who's queer that I don't think has like very much to do on screen but it's just the presence is there and mm-hmm. I think like to your point like they're they're doing little things to just like be somewhat contemporary with this historical Yeah, and it doesn't I, to me it story. does not feel like hollow performative stuff. It's like, no. you know, Sure? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, nothing about this movie felt particularly performative to me. It more because Gina is such a classical uh, storyteller. Yes, basically in all of her movies, she's sort of a small C conservative filmmaker to me in a lot of ways. Like yeah. she makes family dramas about right. like big relatable characters having big relatable breakthroughs. There was that no th- matter what the movie is. There was like, that thing where like uh, when um, Beyond the Lights went onto Netflix. Oh, uh, sure. You, right. Like, was, you know this, right? The rights went to Netflix or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then it got filed under like black film as a genre. Sure. And she was like, this is a romantic drama. This is like a melodrama. These sure. are the films you should be putting it up against. And like Reed Hastings actually responded to it and took a meeting with her and was like, maybe her algorithm's fucked. No, no. What he, what he said was like, I can't control it. I can't it, control it. It, it. it runs me. Right now we it's have running to whisper. me. All of my decisions yeah. it's making. Right. I'm plugged into it at all times. <laughs> 
my face is going to change based on whatever you want to look like. The algorithm's like Ava and X Machina. <laughs> yes, right. I saw Saranda sat next to him, or right next to him, hey. very close to him for a glass onion. Yeah. And I said, You've ruined cinema, sir. No, I didn't say anything. Thank you. Um, I also sat right behind Daniel Craig and I took a picture. I'll show you. I took a picture of the back of his head. I don't usually take pictures ears. of celebrities. Ears. But I was just like, The back of this motherfucker's head ears. looks like Daniel Craig. I have one quick complaint, just that I saw slick films, and you know me, I love like a wet movie. Uh-huh. It's not what you think. It's like kind of more like, you know, like bro kind of. Oh, like you slick. saw slick films on, oh, Netflix, on Netflix and you yeah. were mad that it was not right. You, it's not you a were collection looking for of wet movies. You were looking for some oily pictures. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. It just looks like him because yeah, it is. It him. really does. But he's no. just, his head is kind of a perfect circle. Yes. And then and he's then got these like, boink. Chug ears and obviously very distinctive hair color, yes. close cropped. Yeah. Um, but yes, no, she she is a, she's a very classical filmmaker. Uh, yeah, that's and what I mean. And it is why you have to view this movie in the context of the other types of epics we're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. she's sort of, I'm overusing this phrase, but in dialogue with the history of turning historical events into aspirational epics. And then she she told Patches that she has another thing lined up that sounds sort of woman king. It sounds fun. She's like she said I was she was deciding between two products and one of them was big, like cool. a big scale thing. Yeah, I just like that she's working at a good clip again. Well, that's true. Yeah, because that's the thing is, of course, it's like I don't need her budgets to be bigger every no. time because I understand some filmmakers don't want to make a two hundred million dollar right. movie every time. Yeah, but I do want her to make movies mm-hmm. consistently, which right. it does seem like the industry now understands that she's a pretty talented filmmaker who has an interesting perspective on things. Yeah. And so she's getting jobs. But it does feel like throughout the 2010s, it was more like she had to like fight for a meeting or whatever. Right. Like, fight to you know pitch anyone on anything. Yeah. Or or maybe it was that she was like, they'd be like, hey, do you want to make this? And she'd be like, well, I want to make it well. And they'd be like, oh, yeah. that'll be expensive and take forever. Can't you make it badly? Yeah. Like doesn't because doesn't that kind of what happened with Silver and Black? Like I think so, basically. Bit, and then right. at some point they were like, "Why is this a movie? It should be two movies. It should be a series." And she was like, "What the <laughs> fuck are we talking about? <laughs> Stupid industry." I have a script that's good. Let me make it. <laughs> right, right. So well, I don't Silver and Black in one film. Are, are we blowing our load too fast? I think that was truly. Let's do Sill and then right. Fur. <laughs> <laughs> We need to learn how the name. Can comes we get together. to black? Black and be that yeah. can be on HBO Max, and then the ampersand. <laughs> I'm sensing spinoff potential. Um, the plot of the movie, The Woman King. We begin on this big battle where they're rescuing uh, women who have been abducted by yeah. you know people who are going to be slow, told to, to be sold into bondage. Yeah. Um, and another thing I think this movie is about is in a very sober-eyed way is just like. It is incredibly difficult to extricate yourself from bad systems. It is why the world remains bad. Yeah. You know, my attitude is I sit there and I just go like, stop it. Stop doing that. Yeah. Uh, well, instead, the kingdom is just weighing whether or not to, I guess, go to all-out war. Right. right. You know, go to just like, let can we challenge them uh, openly and, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just like be defensive. Mm-hmm. So Gezo, the king, mm-hmm. who's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, is kind of into that. But they yeah. need more people. Yes. And then we are And I think I think also has a chip on his shoulder and also like wants to be the new hip modern king. Like a little bit of that. He has that attitude of like, I want to seem smarter, more in touch, more, yeah. you know, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, because his there's a character that's one of his wives who is kind of she got a lot of laughs at the premiere. I don't know if you guys got uh-huh. who's kind of throwing some shade yes. at him because he's like General Niska, what do you think? Right. You know, like and he's actually listening to her. And the wife character is kind of the like, why don't we just stay status quo? Right. Like that's what her she's always gone for. Yeah, like, why she, do we have to stir the pot? She has been lucky enough to rise to the most comfortable position sure, a woman right. can have in that culture at that time. And um, and people are afraid of losing their status. 100%. So we have this parallel track, which is Nawi, who's the girl who mm-hmm. basically anytime the dad tries to marry her off, she's just like, you little cuck bitch, I'm not going to marry you or whatever. Like she's, right. she's uh, impetuous. She's... Um, impudent with the men there's that moment when she has her final sort of like training test mm. and boyega is like so charmed by her and he was like if you weren't such a good warrior i'd make you a wife and everyone yeah. laughs at it and views it as like wow you've really proven yourself and it's such a like deeply sad moment where it's like that would be the win yeah that, that would, would be the, the win yeah that would right. be the right. lucky and it's year like, you get to marry the king here's this person who's now found the one way she can exist on the term she wants to in her life basically so Nawi is basically just taken to the mm-hmm. uh, doors of the castle, the, yeah. the fortress of the, the, the wherever the uh, Agoye live. Sure. Dropped off. Because yeah. the general people are not allowed to look at them, which is fairly cool. Yeah. Um, and it's just sort of like, I don't know what to do with her. You deal with her. Right. And she's immediately a pain in the ass. And Izogi, which is the um, Lashana Lynch character, is mm-hmm. just like, you seem fun. I'll take you on. Right? Yes. And that's kind of, I mean, it's classic Hollywood storytelling shit. That's how we learn everything. It's how we learn about how the kingdom works and how everyone lives and, yes. you know, how life functions inside the walls of their, and it's, you know, it's easy stuff. But the other thing is you're doling out with Viola Davis's character, the sort of, I mean, the the thing I just love in Gina movies so much of how much she will focus on these little moments of just understanding how much visual storytelling can be conveyed in a glance of reaction, a moment of privacy, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. I think it speaks to her also as an athlete too, where she's just like really keyed into uh, the amount of story you can get out of body language, even in just a, a parting moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're getting these moments of like Viola in the bath, you know, tending to her scars. Yep. These sort of like, well, this is the, you know, you got to see this fucking badass opening action sequence where she's just like ripping it up. And now it's just like, this one's 56. Her whole body hurts. Sure. You know, there's a certain degree to which she's like sharpened herself to just being kind of like so tightly wound and dead inside and all this sort of shit. These moments where she's sort of by herself and doesn't really know what to do with herself to a certain degree, right? Right. Um, You don't have much of a life. Your life is good in one way. Right. And that you get to live independently in part of this collective. And it's forged by trauma. She had a a traumatic life that she has now found a way to escape from by having to like turn herself into a Terminator. But, but right. But you're, you know, you're a soldier. Right. You're in danger. You're you're not just a soldier, Gotta but these fit. women truly are like human weapons. Yeah, they're pretty down cool. to even just you know the carving of their nails and everything. It's like everything you do is to make yourself the most efficient weapon possible. Uh, but she immediately starts to uh, react strangely to this young woman who has now entered. I did not put that together initially, but yes, she is kind of like on her guard about this girl who you feel like is 
I, I, your initial maybe take of that is like they're very similar, and right, that's why right, they're right. butting it's the heads. Classic, right. right? I I see myself in her, and I don't want right. her to You're make like, the is, same is mistakes. Is this just fucking whatever. like Tom Scare and Top Gun or something? Right, shit? Is right, this right, just right. like right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, teach yeah. the hot-headed kid to learn some humility or whatever? But then you get this moment where she witnesses the scar on the shoulder. Yeah, reacts really I, strangely. I goes guess, to Sheila Atim. That comes late in the movie. It, it right? comes. It's like, like post second. It's around the forty minutes in. Yeah. Um. And says, like, what happened to the baby? You've right. already gotten the glimpses now of clearly she suffered a lot of sexual abuse when she was younger, sort of being, uh, you know, haunted by these men and whatever. And you realize, like, oh, she had a child right. that was given away. And now she is finally at they're, the point. they're not allowed to get married or right. have children. But it's like, as a 56-year-old woman, she is at the point where for the first time she has to contend with that child is now an adult that might cross my path at any time. And we also are seeing in these flashbacks of the attack that it's um, the earring guy. It's the earring guy. Right. As a younger man. But it's right. like he's got that same sort of like large spike in his ear. Yes. Which is like, you know, adding another layer to what's going on. It's like she's discovering she's a mother, but it's so conflicted because of the situation, but also because it's the enemy. Yeah, yes, yes, right. This child's a reflection of the the person she hates the most in the world. You know, a tremendous amount of, of shame and trauma and all this sort of shit. Right. Um, the, the, you know, I, I watch it, I think, in a more conventional way, it's going to dart around this thing for a long time. And then you get the scene where they're both in the bath together and Viola cuts open her shoulder and tells her the story of basically she, so she, she, an analog tracking device, right? Yeah, she she did, did a very metal way of uh, tracking, right, like or marking the, her child by putting a shark tooth inside of her. Because uh, Sheila Atim's it? just sort of going like, impossible, there's no way. And Viola Davis is like, tell me which orphanage you mm, sent her to. Right. And she's like, I don't know, I don't know. Like, her attitude is clearly, as her best friend, as her confidant, to just be like, don't think about it. It's impossible. What are the odds? Don't consider it. And Viola Davis is like, I have an insurance policy. I fucking put a tooth in her skin so that I could know without a shadow of a doubt. It's a good way to do it. Yeah. There's only like, 10, 15 minutes, I feel like, before Viola expresses her concern and the confirmation. And from that point on, it's, it's like... It's spread out over two scenes, though, yeah. that are that are far apart. There's it the first scene where she's like, what did you do with the right. baby? It's developed as a And father. then, like, yeah. post a big battle is when yes. she's like, yo, can I check out your shoulder for a well, second? Surprise. Yeah. yeah, let me peep your shoulder. Yeah. I think it's almost the order is actually she realizes that the Spike Ear villain is her attacker. That, that, yes. that is and then yes. very sort of late. starts to put it together from yeah. there. So now he's getting trained. Yeah. Izogi is sort of combo teacher and big sister. Yes. I guess. Drinking right? whiskey. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, because obviously like, Viola Davis is so loath hard, to take hard. on any maternal role with her. You know, she's already going to be like tough love with everybody. And she has such greater conflict, you know, with, mm-hmm. with this trap. Yeah. And so they're mostly training with hand-to-hand combat Pretty cool and stuff. using, like, weapons, yes, um, swords, right. knives. That moment, right. Swords. A, oh, my God. The fucking swords gu- in this. Guns. You do see muskets in this right. movie, but they yeah. don't wield them. Well, there she are, does at the end. At the end. But mostly- Well, the while idea, wearing colonialist garb. Right. But the mostly yeah. in the movie, there are, like, the idea is basically they don't most, mostly don't have guns. Right. But they do have some male warriors who use them. But, like, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, you know- the Dahomey Amazons are very fast and agile. It's not really their body. One of the 
key trailer moments of Lashana Lynch with the God, spear in the shoulder. The trailer. Should we do a separate episode on the Woman King trailer? The movie's a big hit. No, no, go ahead. Uh, no, the the thing, it was when Ben was like... Oh, God, this movie is cringy. very visceral very for visceral. people who for, don't like blood. Especially and, for... Yeah, this is a PG-13, yeah. right? It's a pretty good PG-13. Like It's yeah. like successfully gnarly for a PG-13. Yes. And, uh, you know, she's... She's always interested in showing the actual consequence of violence rather yes, than right. just right, as we said. But the, no, the thing, the test where she's going up against the the male warrior, and there's the spear between the two of them, and they have to walk closer to each other until one person backs off. Right, some gnarly shit. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. And then I love the movement, uh, like the celebration, the dancing, like all of the specifics of like how they chant. Yeah. Um, and just like celebrate. It's all just like really rich and like thought through. Yeah, and they sing the pinnacle or something. Um, yeah, the the those uh songs they sing, by the way, are historically accurate. Mm-hmm. They did not like make up new songs for them. So you've got this side plot that I really dislike where you have Santo Ferreria, which is the hero finds Tiffin guy. Who's yes, like a Portuguese ba- slaver? Yes, uh, he's sort of the bad guy, but like he's you a know, bad the, guy. right? He's a bad guy. Uh, and then Malik, right. played by Jordan Bulger, Bulger. Yeah, do you, do you know? he's very handsome. Yes, he's a looker. Yeah, uh, he's British, who is uh, half Dahomean himself. Right, his mother was yeah, and so he's kind of, and they're there to tr- to treat with the king. Yeah. You know, they're not there for right, like they're there to chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Malik is kind of also just returning to his mother's homeland and like getting in touch with it, I guess, right? Yeah. And he falls in love Look, with Nawa. I, I saw reviews spotlight this as the weakest element of the film. And so to some degree, watching it, I was pleasantly relieved that it was less of an element than I thought it was going to be. And it didn't play out as it's predictably just, as The I movie assumed. is two hours and 15 minutes long. Yeah. He cut that out. It's two hours. It's a clean two. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, and I just I just think it needs to be either just more sketched out or just non-existent because uh, it feels the most perfunctory. It just yeah. feels a little perfunctory. They, yeah. Like, I'm like, why do they like each other? Cause they're hot. And I'm like, I well, they are hot, they are hot. And, and shout out to them and props to them. Actually. Right. That is a good reason to like someone. But, uh, I just, <laughs> a good reason but like she's like in someone. the middle of like forging this like deep bond with these women uh-huh. and like learning to be a warrior. And then at the same time, he's like, Hey, what's up? And she's like, "Oh, hey, what's up with you?" And I'm like, "But I feel like she's more into like she. I don't think that would be enough to draw her away from this. And obviously, the no. overall arc that she has is she realizes like, no, I can't be with him, and I can't go away. Yeah, with him. yes, right. You know, we're we're we're. And I knew throughout the movie, like, we're coming to that realization. We're not going to end with her being like, "Let's go, let's sail to Portugal. We'll have a nice life." You know, me. Yeah, and, let's move to England. Who does that? Yeah, you, you know, know what I mean? All right. But I just. Or maybe they would just need to have the most electrifying chemistry where I'm like, well, yeah, these two are just so amazing together that, yes, I get it. I didn't really totally buy that. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it's an old-fashioned romantic epic. You're looking something up. No, I was looking at the New Yorker piece. There was a part I was trying to quote, but I couldn't find it. Um, People should read it. It's a good piece. Yeah. Yes. I think it's better that we just direct people to, you know, well-written pieces by people who know what they're talking about. Right. The the movie starts with a big action sequence. Uh-huh. It has two big war sequences at the end. Yeah. One at the one just versus the Oyo, right? You know. Yeah. And then one at the uh, the the trading port. But but for the book of the movie, they really just invest you in 
these characters. It's light on it. I mean, there's the training stuff. Yeah. And yeah, there's like the big yeah. training, right. the big sort of like final test sequence and all that. Yeah. But it does like take the foot off the gas. But and yet the movie does move, I sure. would say. Like it never feels slow. Yeah. Uh, it's always engaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, a part of the training that I just want to shout out is I love that the like the trainees kind of fuck with the senior officers and they take gunpowder and they put it inside the head of the dummy, like the oh, practice yeah. dummy. Yeah. And so like they surprise the senior right. officers at one point when they're like, you know, demonstrating like how to attack on them mm-hmm. and they hit the head and it explodes. And I like how that then is set up later, like for the big fight scene. Like yeah, they use that tactic yes. later. What's the line? It's like you don't need a gun to you know to use gunpowder or whatever, right? Is that yeah. a line? Yeah, yeah. the The big sequence where she sort of pretends mm-hmm. to like offer the Oyo the truth because the Oyo at some point show up and they're like. Not only do we want, you know, our usual tribute, but we want like 40 of your Dahomey Amazons. Mm-hmm. And he talks them down to 20 or whatever. Like there's the sequence where like they're supposedly presenting the warriors yeah. as prisoners. Yeah. And then obviously it's a decoy and she fights. Yeah. And it's cool. I feel like we've talked about over the years a frustrating trend of like uh especially big studio films trying uh-huh. so hard to be clever. And being aware of how much more literate moviegoers are and sort of like there's such a cottage industry about recognizing tropes and people sort of throwing basic screenwriting principles against it. Think oh, it's fucking cliched, overwritten, whatever. To the detriment of you start throwing out a lot of cliches that exist because they work. People start doing sort of clever subversions. Sure, you're the baby in the bathwater, you're saying. Clever, you know? yeah, for yeah, clever yeah, right, sake. right, right, right. Don't. Sometimes we can use these things because they work and they they are success. You talk about this being the only other A-plus movie of the year along with Top Gun Maverick, which is another movie where everyone's just like, oh, you just make a movie. Yeah, but also- You're just hitting all the classic old Hollywood things that have worked for people. But a movie that has every cliche in it, Top Gun Maverick, you know, like everything where you're just like, wow, but it's so cheesy. And I'm like, yeah, was that a problem for you? And they're like, no, not really. Yeah. And I, I I think this movie is not operating exactly at that scale, but I do think no. there's something no about... Point does anyone say too close for missiles, switching to guns or whatever? That'd be cool. But That's you know what cool I'm saying? I do gun. think that movie, this movie is operating in a somewhat similar vein. Yes, it's you're. It's what you said before. You're, you're saying you're, you're. It's the or it's the point you're making about like it's like modern but not contemporary or modern right. but not self aware. Like right. it's it's like it's okay. We can do we can do this. old fashioned epic. Yeah. We can do the uh, let's see it through the eyes of the new recruit to learn everything. Like right. Some some person might be like ah that's an old trope. It's like but it's, it's a like successful the trope, trope. The trope helps as long as, because as, long as the characters are well well defined right. and well performed. And there's an emotion to everything. Which that's the thing. This movie invests in all the things it needs to invest to to make you those like things sing. You know, when uh um after this battle I described yeah. happens, you know, uh Nawi and, and Izogi are captured, right? Yeah. Well, wait, come on. We gotta talk about the fight. We can't just well, skip the fight over is really it. good. Yeah, no, let's talk about the it's fight. Fucking, okay, so they use the palm oil, which like there's a little moment where you get to also see the idea like being uh, put like, or like she challenges the king, like let's start producing more palm oil. And you at least get to see a little bit of the production start to happen. Mm -hmm. But the palm oil and the gunpowder play 
in now to this fight where they pour all of this palm oil in the fields just on the perimeter of where the warring faction is setting up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then at like right at first light, they light up the and they palm make all oil, these like makeshift bombs and they, essentially. And they right. and then use the anthills yeah. to and disguise them which are they're basically just like landmines. Yeah. Sure. And they do a surprise attack. It's fucking sick. It is. It's very sick. And there's like this like slight fog. Uh-huh. You know, because it's that time of day. Man, that fight scene was like, I was like at the edge of my seat. It was really, really fucking good. I agree. I, I have no beef with any of the fight scenes in the movie. They were all really impressive. I think it was the only thing t- like we were saying after we saw Griff where it was like because of the COVID stuff. Yeah. It, it Like, you know, it was just like a lot you didn't just you didn't get a wide shot you didn't get to really feel mm. the um the full like battle I, I was just re-watching some old guard things uh yesterday and it's you know it's a testament to how gina works with uh her actors and, and and you know old guard she has someone like Charlize who's like so fucking good at action where it's like oh they can actually do the thing in full they can play this out right, right. this movie i think she was coming up against like you now have as third a third as many people as you thought you were going to have. So you have to break this into smaller pieces because you're maybe reusing the same crowd people behind it. Mm. Or maybe you can't clear out the space to the same degree you could before because you have to create a smaller bubble around it or whatever the fuck it is. You know? I think all the action choreography in this is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's visceral. Yes, like yes. it is so like at times like like really got me like like squirming. Was that the, she actually like fucking builds story beats into her action sequences. There yes. is like a chain of events happening for a reason that have a build to them rather than just sort of chaos of people just swinging swords and being badass. Yeah. I just loved it. All of that sequence. I like the big sequence at the port where they free everybody. Mm-hmm. I like the escape with Lashana Lynch where she, I mean, spoiler alert, dies. Mm. It was very moving and effective. There's that moment on the back of the, of the cart where they're all lying there and she goes, do you want to live anymore? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, no, you mean the one girl who throws herself yeah. out. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I also like how the rope, which is like kind of a thing with the training, right? That's the first like weapon mm-hmm. that they're taught to work with. Mm-hmm. It's incorporated with the sword and she starts like swinging Knife it around. Knife on rope seems like a really Ben weapon. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It's fucking yeah. like, that's I, inventive. I, I do love that too, where right they're giving her the rope and now he's like, rope, boring. I right. want like a fucking giant sword. Yeah. And she's like, sure, take the giant sword, cut the head off. And she can't, you know, she doesn't know how to, you know, put her heft behind it. The yet. final test being like going through the thorns, which is also, I mean, how Viola finds the, the scar on the shoulder. Yes. But that sequence is very visceral as well. Oh, yeah. My God, those thorns are so big. Ben was They're screaming. like the biggest thorns I've ever seen. Yeah, the thorns are. Shirley was weird. I remember now, Shirley was like squirming in her chair. Oh my God. And I was like, thorns? And she was like, I just bad. I was truly like having to hold my hand up and like. Nature's barbed wire. I mean, I'm not not saying I want to throw myself into a thorn. Sounds like it's Hulu. I'm just saying like. I know what to get you for your fucking birthday. (laughs) Well, you know, like Barbarian, another movie that's out. Yes. Uh, right now mm-hmm. has basements in it, right? It's you a horror movie with basements. Hate basements. And I was like, well, not, but it's not like one of those things where I go around being like, you know what? I hate basements. I was watching and I was like, I think I might have a problem well, you with basements. You texted us immediately yeah. and we were like, like, it really hit me, but I should also mention I'm very afraid of basements. Yeah, you did like, say that. Like, I think 
because I never had one in my like I never grew up with a basement. Yeah, they're just extra spooky to me. I'm like, what's going on down there? Did, you, no one's really watching the store down we there. We did fucking George Lucas talk show in Detroit. Four days after I saw Barbarian and Patrick Connor, our producer, Patrick had booked us an Airbnb. Slept well. And the basement was locked. And Ooh, I was just wow, like, yeah. I hate everything about being here. Should have gone in there. I couldn't. Should have. I want to check just to make sure. Right, right. You want to check to make sure there's any secret doors. I won't spoil it. Have you seen Barbarian? No. Scary. People should go see it. Good movie. Okay. Yeah. I um, love basements. Some of the, my best memories have happened in basements. That's also a movie surprising. that is interesting in that you talk about like, you know, me criticizing movies for being too clever for their own good. I'm not going to spoil anything about this movie, but it is a film where if you actually line up the series of events, it is less insane in a way yeah, yeah, yeah. than the way it chooses to tell its story. Right. It actually has a pretty straightforward story. Uh, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's the construction of it's really smart. Yeah. The one king. Izogi dies mm -hmm. in that they're trying, when they're trying to escape yes. from being sold, correct? Like she they almost bullet, pull it right? off. Yeah. Yes. Um, Which even I just feel like it's like the guns are slowly creeping more and more into this yeah. world. For as much as they train, it's like if someone can shoot you from that distance, everything you've done is going to start to become less and less effective in defense you know right 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 everything you are can just be like immediately wiped out from you know 100 feet away or whatever and naniska has basically been told because she has successfully defeated the oyo yeah been told by the king like good job buddy yeah you get to be married to me now mm -hmm. big win for you sure and she's like eh. And everyone's like, I mean, come on, man. Like, it's because it's basically like that's like your gold watch. It's like retirement. It's like yeah. congrats. You know, you know. Sure. And she's like, I want to go get my people. I want to go get Nawi. You know, and, and the, the the fact that she's her secret daughter is obviously a part of it, but also these are her yeah. girls. Yeah. And she defies orders to do it, mm -hmm. goes and gets her. You've got Nawi, as you say, has been now been dressed. She she puts on a nightgown because yes. she's gotta wear something from her Portuguese. Um, from her, from her Portuguese. How do you want to describe him? Not even boyfriend, uh, ingenue, right. <laughs> whatever. No, but it's, it, they, right. Potential she, lover. She comes out of it in right this this sort of like a, a colonialist garb wielding a gun. I mean, yes. it, it, it's what. And then they take of, down the entire kind of right. port. You know, the whole sort of like operation there. Well, it's you also know, speaking, very, very it, cathartic. The analog she is presenting of how these are the basic themes that present themselves across history and our human nature in different costumes with different weapons. Right. Right. You know, I mean, they, you know, she's almost at an inflection point in history, but the same things are going to perpetuate themselves in one form or another. They go back. Yeah. She's proclaimed the woman king, which is sort of defined as like, it's like separate from being a wife or whatever, right? Yes. It's sort of like you would be my partner. Or you'd have more of an equal say in ruling the kingdom. It almost feels like a vice president position. Right. It's a good, look, let's say this. It's a good title. It's a good title. And it's a good, it's funny. Like the movie could end right there. I, I was expecting it to. Exactly. It feels like the movie's about to end. Yes. And then in, in my opinion, an effective, although some people disagreed with me on this at Toronto, but very Gina move. Mm -hmm. There's like five more minutes of her sort of going to Nawi and them kind of acknowledging their familial, right? Yes. Like, you know, their relationship, yeah. which you don't need per se. Like it's already oh, kind of happened. It, I, I repeat again, 
her entire body of work as an artist, as a storyteller, is very much informed. She's like, this is more the victory here. This is more what matters. Yeah, she she comes at stories from the perspective of someone who who didn't know where she came from. You know, Gina herself, yeah. the the struggle to sort of find your family and all of that. Um, and so. I just have to imagine there was some note at some point where they were like, can't we just end on? And you are now the woman king. Everyone cheers. You Cut can to imagine black. it ending the like the Phantom Menace, Boss right. Nash cheering in the crowd. But I like the little Coda person. I do too. I think it's a very successful movie. It's just kind of like, you know, kind of like I have very few complaints about it. It's just a. Yeah, I mean, Ben and I just wonder where we're like, that's a fucking good movie. That's yeah. a well-made movie. Yeah, and I feel like that has been the general reaction of just everyone being like, yeah, it's a fucking crowd pleaser. They don't make them like that anymore, right. like that kind of stuff. I don't know. I find everything about it. Shout out. Pretty encouraging. And I certainly yes. think there, you know, you are allowed to fucking debate this text and wrestle with it and what have you. But uh, I, I think as a movie, it's it's a, it's a pretty, uh, pretty excellent little object. Well, we should talk about one of the most encouraging things, which is the box office game. $19 million. Um, it's one of these things where it was like, oh, it's projected to open at 12. And then going yes. into the weekend, they were like, it might overperform at might 15 or 15, 16. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it came in at 18, and then a day later, they were like, actually, it's 19. Yeah. Yeah, so it just it kept trending up. Do we want to play the box office game? I do. Okay. Woman King, number one, $19 million. Number one movie in America. Number two, we just discussed it. Horror film. Barbarian. With a... 38% hold, which is crazy for a horror movie, but yeah. the combo of horror, not a lot of competition and great basically, buzz. if you drop 65% weekend, like, two people are job. like, humongous. Um, Incredible. Horror is like the most front-loaded. Right. And I'm just kind of astonished by the success of that movie's marketing campaign still basically being, don't find out anything about this. Um, but... Right, right. I still haven't seen the trailer, and you know, I know you love trailers. Like, I for hate example, them. And I actually haven't watched the Barbarian trailer. All I knew going I've, to Barbarian was the poster. I've been told same. Yeah. I've been told the trailer for Barbarian is surprisingly I've heard uh, that as well. good at hiding everything. I've heard that as well. Uh, so I should check it out. Yeah. Um, but people should see it. It's a really, really good movie. Yeah. Number three at the box office is another horror movie. I will say because I saw it, I liked it. I texted our our group text with the Doughboys afterwards because mm-hmm. Nick and Mitch had already seen it. And I was like, I liked it a lot. I don't think I loved it. Then you saw it and you were like, I loved it. In the week since I've seen it, it's only grown on me. Sims Bump. The Sims Bump. It sits well. It's a fucking great movie. Yeah, um, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Number three is another horror movie, though. It's uh, new this week. The, uh, the fuck, what, what's the fucking new this week horror movie? Oh, it's Pearl. Pearl. I haven't seen Pearl yet. Neither have I. I'm excited. I've to heard see it. very mixed things, but then Martin Scorsese was going for the map. I know. It sounds like he my kind him. of shit. Cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Scott Tobias was saying to me that it's like Douglas Sirky, and I was like, well, that's, that's interesting. Right. 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 Our friend uh, Arp was like, it's like more of a sad character study than a horror movie. Right. And I'm like, sign me up. Number four is one of the weirdest buried things of the year. It's new this week. It's a mystery movie. Uh, is it is it, this thing is What's called the See How They Run? That's right. Yeah, which is one of those things that they like announced last year. Yeah, and they were like announcing from Searchlight, like, uh, you know, a mystery movie with uh, Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell. I will say, you mostly go to screenings. I've been seeing this trailer before every movie for the right. last three months. Right. It's one of those. You know, maybe it's it's more so in New York, but that trailer has been unavoidable. I finally, I I frankly have found that trailer annoying sure and sort of like forced west light kind of vibes everyone who sees it says it's pleasant that Every, it's everyone, entertaining the word i've heard ranges from 
pleasant disappointing to pleasant fine right. pleasant good but I, like the trailer for me was nails on a chalkboard it's a real sort of like four to six out of ten swing despite Sersha being like my favorite love her yeah but you know the fact that when a movie like that is not at a festival yes and is not really like being pushed to the press at all I'm sort of like does it just stink but it more just seems like everyone's like I don't know it is what it is I'm also like is that better than Amsterdam if people are doing their oh. fucking Wes Anderson murder mystery refs right uh, um, that's another thing by the way I saw I saw Amsterdam right. last weekend yeah uh, Q&A afterwards uh, I'll just say this. Uh, the moment I walked out of the Q&A was when David O. Russell claimed that the film was 60% based on truth. Mm. That movie is so much more fictional than this film. Sure. Right. Well, yeah. Right. But he's pretending it's and based I would on... be very surprised but if I mean... it is held up to the same level of scrutiny Ehrlich, as this movie is. I think Ehrlich had some tweet about it and it's so true. It's like, it's such a plague, the movies that are like, that begin with like, mostly true adventure. This is kind of based David, on a true David, story. can I tell you what the wording is at the beginning of Amsterdam? What a movie that? that I do not really like. Right. Uh, uh, it's a lot of this really yeah. happened. I fucking hate that and shit. And then it's like he at the end was like, like 60% of this is real. And I'm like, every single character in this film is invented. It's made up, so You're how like real could it possibly be? fictional narratives with fictional characters running concurrent with actual historical events. Anyone can fucking do that. Mm. Don't, like, a lot of this really happened. Yeah, it takes place in a society where there's running water. What the fuck are you talking about? Sounds good. Number five of the Don't box worry. office is at $96 million in net. At this point, I kind of just need it to get to 100 bullet just train. for fun. But it's going to be train. really frustrating if it doesn't make it to I think it's going to make There's it. There's nothing more infuriating than a like a rampage topping out at like 98.7. And it to 100. Let's just put Let's it in kick some it. drive-ins or whatever. A, a f- for me, a perfectly we've, entertaining We've film. said it many times yeah. now. Uh, I, I also, recommend a ride on the train. We've talked about all these movies. Top Gun Maverick, DC League of Super Pets, The Invitation, Minions Rise of Gru, and then no new at number 10 is Moon Age Daydream, which I will not be seeing. Looks, Why? It looks boring. Okay. I just hate those kinds of like, David Bowie's, you've never seen him before. I'm like, I've seen him before. I've seen so He's much. He's a great performer. I love him. I don't uh, think this is going to blow my mind. Modern Pox, but uh, I talked about in last week's episode, the Pinocchio episode, how much I liked uh, Invitation to a point and felt really let down by the the last act of the thing. And then it's already rentable on digital. And I saw the director posting the like, hey, finally the cut I wanted you to see is out. I think it makes a big difference. And I'm like, am I going to watch Invitation again for the second time in two weeks in the hope that it actually follows through on what I felt like the movie was close to? Or is it like there's three more minutes of blood? That would be my guess. No, maybe not blood, but like that it's not that different. But right. who knows? I don't know. Maybe you will. There's some good stuff in that film. That's the box office game. I'm very excited for the next Gina movie whenever it comes. Let's also say, because uh, we're doing Fletch on Patreon. Yeah. That episode dropping the 21st. Is that yes, right? Yes, that's it, right. So that it, episode uh, just came dropped. Out, yeah. oh, okay, so it just came out. Uh, because this is the same weekend in which Fletch bombed. Uh we on that episode do the box office game for fifteen to twenty. Yeah, fifteen numbers, fifteen to twenty. Numbers in the box fifteen office. to so twenty. So get excited so for if you that. Want the, the rest of that. Um, I'll say this too, just as an addendum to the Fletch episode, because you did your full, um, uh, you know, uh, tirade against uh, the streaming, streaming movie, movies. a thing which I notoriously love. I yeah, love right. streaming movies, and David felt the need to mm-hmm. uh, mount a Bruce McGill in The Insider. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, courtroom defense of it. I banged the table. I'm the only one of the three of us who saw Fletch in theaters, and I will say, it maybe sounds like it plays better at home than it maybe, does Maybe this is the exception to the rule. I mean, I would have seen it in a theater if I had any I time, yeah. But like, Woman King's a movie where you're like, great to see in a theater. Sure. 
I and mean, I basically think all movies are better in theaters. Look, I'm willing to admit that both of you gave Fletch half Fletch star going, higher than I did. Fletch going to streaming makes yeah. more sense than Secret Headquarters or like what's yes. another like obviously big budget movie that was for some reason put on screen. Right. You know, right. There was another Paramount Hollow, The Halloween right. movies going to Peacock. Right. I know those right. are in theaters too, but like why yes. Why would you think anyone would... First Kill, another one where you're like, why is this going straight to Paramount Plus? That was so weird. It's the, the end of August. Put it in theaters. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. Um, but yeah, it's a fair point. David, do you want to tell your TIFF story? Because you saw this movie at TIFF. You've already talked about being there at the festival. No, I'm going to save it for... Well, now you, you realize what you're doing right now. What? Building it up? It's not that good. No, you're you're telling people what's coming at the end of the year. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Should we cut that out? I don't know, David. I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. It's your choice. Well, what do you mean? Well, we can just cut out me saying that. It's the second time you said oh, it. Oh, did I say it? <laughs> I said it on mic before? Yeah. But also, do you want to tell the story well, now? The or? only thing is, yeah. is, it's about the circumstances under which I saw that movie. Okay. So I feel like it actually worked So are we bleeping out that movie? Yeah, sure, fine. That's the actually intrigue. fun. Yeah, intrigue. I think most people feel like they fucking... They probably know that we're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. We've long said we would do it. Right. Yeah. The bill has finally come due. Yes. Anyway, David saw some mystery movie at Toronto, which we will be covering on main feed and later in the year as part of a director mini series. The story is that I saw it on zero hours sleep. Wow. Zero hours of sleep. And I still like that. Sounds like a real barbarian situation. Or a real Griffin you know what I situation. Like? I like in the game of talking around anything that happens in Barbarian, letting people assume that everything happens in Barbarian. That's the thing. And Which I do worry point. it's overhyping the movie in a weird yeah. way where people like, I don't understand. Like, at no point did like a pirate get elected president in that movie <laughs> or something. Where you're like, okay, fine. It yes, is why like- I do think it's the right kind of expectation to put people in for where it's like, Look, you won't see where it's going, but it is actually bug nut shit happens in that movie, right? But it's not like fucking. Uh, I I don't I don't know I don't know I can't even think of what movie. You know, a lot of people are comparing it to Malignant, and I think Malignant is a more bonkers quote unquote movie in, in a terms lot of, ways. of like it takes more flights of fancy. This film is just so tricky in the way it unfolds its story Presented to you, very cleverly. and it just every fifteen minutes. Makes you feel like, I literally have no idea where this is going or what this has been up until this point. Which is exciting to watch a movie like that. So check it out. Yeah. We're back to Kubrick. Yes, back to Kubrick next week. Dr. Strangelove with Sean Fennessy, which we already announced, I believe. Yeah, That's the next episode. Yep. Damn dirty freaks. Yep. You can stop complaining. We got the podcast, The Ride Guys, on Sean Fennessy. Now you have to come up with new people to bug us to have on the show. I'm sure they will. New friends who we were thrilled to have on the show. I'm sure they will. We should also say, because we said this on Patreon, but this is is the first main feed episode we've recorded in our offices. Oh, that's right. We said that on Patreon, but we are in the new offices. They're not done yet, but they're... They're very much not done. But we're in a space that is uh, an office studio space that uh, we now record this uh, podcast, which is uh, nice. And uh, R.I.P. Uh, the Hausoleum as as workplace. Yeah, yeah. I still I continue to live there. You continue to live there. Mm-hmm. It's now purely a, a place for living. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media helping to produce the show. Agent McKee and Alex Barron for our editing. Liam Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. J.J. Birch for our research. Uh, as we said, tune in next week for Dr. Strange Love. You can go over to Patreon. You can hear our Confess Fletch episode and uh, continue to do the Roger Moore Bond films. We also have two more Kubrick bonuses coming up. Uh, 2010, 
You're going to contact Dr. Sleep, the rare sequels made to Kubrick films, not by Kubrick, and then a sort of Kubrick-themed Talking the Walk that I cannot remember if we've actually revealed at this point or not. Um, go to blankheadpod.com for some uh, links to some real nerdy shit. And as always, to the best of my knowledge, the three of us have yet to drop a Thor in this bathroom, have we? That is true. Wow. We're going to end on that. I don't know. What are you end on? And as always, um, gunpowder. I don't remember the line. It doesn't have to be in a gun. Oh, let me check on the IMDb quote page. Uh, the line is, yeah. if you like pina coladas. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>